please pray with me that God will bless the reading of his word. God and Father, we want to listen to you. We want to hear from you. We want to be changed by you. Lord, we pray that in this moment you would bind us together as your people, hearing from you, but also responding in worship. Lord, we love you and we pray all of these things in blessed Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 10, uh, uh, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our, sprinkle, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I do want to start this morning with a question kind of arising out of just some of my own personal thoughts. And that is this. Do you have any verses, passages, stories from the Bible that terrify you? I asked our uh, kind of leadership team this morning that very same question, and uh, there were things, no surprise, that you read in Scripture that really do actually like cause some level of fear to arise in your heart. If we can be honest, there is a response to some of the things that we see there, and, uh, and sometimes that response is actually fear. Uh, for me, there are lots of different places that I like read and I just go, man, that is a fearful thing. Um, I, I read about uh, passages uh, specific to pastors that I'll give an account for how I led in this church. And honestly, that has uh, resulted not in just a few kind of sleepless nights. That's a big one. It's, it's a hard thing. I wonder, though, uh, this morning, if you're with me and you've ever read the story of Uzzah in the Old Testament and and been fearful, and you may be like, I kind of remember that name, but I don't really remember exactly what it was. Let me me remind you. Uh, There's this story in 2 Samuel, verse 6, where uh, David has the Ark of the Covenant actually coming to him in his city. And, And all of these people were bringing this Ark, and they decided, you know what, that Ark is pretty heavy. Uh, instead of carrying it the way that God told us to, let's put it on some animals and take it there. And there was this man named Uzzah who uh, probably was someone fairly important. He was close to the ark. They probably wouldn't have just let some crazy person be right next to that ark. It was probably a priest. And Uzzah sees that this ark is about to fall off and hit the ground. And he, I think just in a moment, not, not some long, drawn out, thoughtful thing, but just in a moment, reaches out and touches the ark to try to steady it, to keep it from falling on the ground. And immediately he's struck dead. He falls dead. This is something that to me is really fear-inducing. Just the idea that like uh, coming up against something, doing something slightly disobedient, uh, touching something could actually result in death. That's, that's kind of a fear or anxiety kind of producing thing. But I wonder why that is. He, here's the truth. Uzzah 
uh, Uzzah reaches out, touches the holy ark with his sinful hand, and he's struck dead. And I think that a lot of times we just think, man, that is kind of capricious of God. Like, you know, uh, all he was trying to do was like study it, keep it from falling on the ground. But I think that honestly, when we take that kind of attitude, we, uh, we don't really think of it the right way. I think that this was a lot more like gravity. I think that what happened was is that Uzzah falls off a cliff, a metaphorical cliff, and faces the reality of gravity. What happens is is that Uzzah's sinful hand touches a holy ark, something that's meant to actually uh, symbolize, but then actually later we see um, have the seat of mercy, the spirit of God, like actually dwelling on it, and that holiness can't, it can't take any sinfulness. And so gravity is this just kind of law that results in death if you're not careful with it. Uzzah was not careful, and he was struck dead. This actually resulted not just fear in me or fear in us, but David was fearful to even then have the ark come to his city. So he diverts it and finds out that the ark goes to this man's home, and everything that he has starts getting blessed. Why? Because the presence of God blesses him, and then he goes, oh, Now, I want that blessing. Maybe I should do what God says and bring the ark into my city. God's manifest holiness and erring against his perfect will is something that is terrifying. It makes me, when I read that story, doubtful and uncertain. What is going to happen when my sinfulness comes up against a perfect and holy God? The, the ark, that, it doesn't just end there. The ark later was actually brought into David's city. Later they build these beautiful temples, and the ark is actually placed in a very specific part of the temple. It's placed in the Holy of Holies. This is like the innermost place where God's holiness is there, his presence is there, the ark is put there in the Holy of Holies. And and what would have happened in this Holy of Holies is is that there was this big, thick curtain. If you ever read about it, it was probably more of like a wall of fabric than it was like an actual curtain the way that we think of it. But there behind that curtain, this Holy of Holies, the presence of God is, and the chief priest the high priest would have actually been able to go in just once a year to make the appropriate kind of ceremonial sacrifice, sprinklings, and all of these sorts of things. And that was actually a really fearful job. If if you want to know how fearful uh, that job once a year was, you can actually go to Leviticus chapter 21, where it talks about the details of the preparations and purifications needed to enter that holy of holy places. Why? Because a sinful man was going to go into the presence of God, into the holiness of God, and he had to be prepared in some kind of way. In fact, we even read that there were bells put around the bottom of his robe so that you could hear whether or not he was still in there doing something. If the bells stopped, it was not a good sign. Maybe this was the new Uzzah because he was struck dead. He didn't do something right And they actually tied a rope around his ankle so that they could pull his body out if he encountered the holiness of God and died. That's how seriously they took the holiness of God. It is, if you continue to read from where we read this morning, it is a fearful thing to actually fall into the hands of the living God. But even with the ark, 
There's something that nods towards grace, nods towards mercy. On top of the ark, there was actually these two cherubim with wings kind of uh, there at the top of it, uh, seeing over this place called the mercy seat. So even on this holy of holy things, this ark of the covenant, this thing that actually had the, uh, the Ten Commandment tablets in it, there were these cherubim that were there actually attending this mercy seat, the place that the Spirit of God would have been. So even there where there is holiness, there is also a nod towards a making for mercy. And in some sense, I think that that's what we get here in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. This is the primary takeaway that I want for all of us this morning. I want for us to know that Jesus gives us complete confidence to enter the holy places. Jesus gives us complete confidence to enter holy places. And and, and I'll be honest with you, this passage is like a preacher's dream because it, it breaks down into a primary point, and then it actually gives us three things that we need to learn. And you'll see that let us is the thing that kind of denotes where each one of these things are. If you want to know that Jesus gives us complete confidence to enter holy places, the first thing that you need to know is that we are to draw near. The second thing we need to know is that we are to hold fast. And the third thing is that we need to carefully consider. So that's kind of where we're headed this morning. Just by way of some context, uh, the book of Hebrews is written, since we're just kind of dropping in just this one week, it's written to a very religious group of people. It was written to the Jews after Jesus had resurrected and gone into heaven and after the apostles had gone out to begin making disciples, this book of Hebrews is written back to religious Jews and a big portion of this book asks the question, how can sinful people confidently be with a holy God? You see, Jews didn't have a very good answer. The writer of Hebrews is going to say, you don't have the answer You don't have the answer. How can sinful human beings be with a holy God? If we go to the top of chapter 10 in verse 1, it gives us uh, some understanding of where we're going this morning. It can never be by the same sacrifices that are continually offered to make perfect those who draw near. Verse 3 says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So every year, they're making these uh, sprinklings, these sacrifices. And so the people, the Jewish people, were very aware of their what? Sin, their imperfection. Something needed to die to cover over, to pay for all of their sin. And so the, the Old Testament was just... Uh, filled with all of these sacrifices that needed to be made, these offerings that had to be had. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that none of these sacrifices that are made every year, verse 11 said, the, chief, the, the priests stand daily at the service and offer repeatedly the same sacrifices. These things are futile. You're doing it all the time. Why? Why is it that they stand daily at service and repeatedly offer the same sacrifices in a futile way? Because sin is the problem and, quote, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. 
If you got lost in maybe just that sporadic reading of those texts, here's what you need to know. The Jews knew that they were sinful. They had to make sacrifices. They had to do it all the time. The priests had to make those sacrifices all the time. They knew their sin, but they also knew that the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient to take away their sin. Humans have a need for nearness to God, and all of our best efforts leave us isolated from him. So that's where we get to the good news this morning. Let's read verse 12. Look at verse 12. So often in Scripture, the best news is right after that uh, little tiny word, but, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, not repeated sacrifice, a single sacrifice for sin, he sat at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected, perfected, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, that is, those who place their faith in Jesus. You see, the the good news of the gospel is that there is no longer a need to make repeated sacrifices to clean or cover over sin. Jesus, once for all, did what the priests and their daily offerings couldn't, what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't. He took away sins, and then that word perfected, he perfected them. Jesus can take away your sins. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus can perfect not just a group of people, but you. So I've got a question for you that's going to be important for how we take all of the rest of this this morning. How how we understand the gospel this morning depends on our ability to ask, are you fearful? What is it in the, it was a very specific question that I asked earlier. What part of scripture makes you fearful? More than likely, if you do like some of the dissection there, it's some part of scripture that enunciates the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Most of the time, we are encountering a fear, and it's not even a bad fear. It is a holy fear that this righteous God cannot have anything to do with sinful man. And the greatness of the gospel is that Jesus bridges that gap by his blood, by his sacrifice, by the rending and the tearing of his own flesh. Are you fearful? Did you enter in this morning ashamed of something, embarrassed of something? Maybe it's, it's, it's more specific than that. It's not like a, a fear uh, of God. It's just like you don't feel near anything, anyone, any person, and you definitely don't feel near God. Maybe this morning your problem isn't that you're necessarily fearful. It's that you feel like a nobody. You feel like uh, you don't have any confidence because you're unlovable or you feel isolated and alone. Here's where our verses pick up this morning. This is the greatness, this is the grandness of the gospel, and I want you to see it there in the word therefore, verse 19, therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places. Therefore, brothers, we have confidence, 
If you entered this room wanting more confidence, if you were fearful, if you were ashamed, if there was something holding you back, if you felt unlovable, if you felt like you couldn't enter into relationship with people, much less God, the good news of the gospel, therefore, is that you can have complete confidence to enter the holy places. Do you remember that high priest that we just talked about going in to make sprinklings in the holy of holies? You couldn't go into that room. You could not have gone into that room if you were not a Levite, if you had not made the proper preparations in your life, if you had not worn the appropriate garb, you would have walked into that room, the bells would have stopped jingling, and they would have dragged your dead body out of the Holy of Holies. And now, here's what we see in Jesus Christ. You have confidence to go into the holiest of places. That's great news. By the blood of Jesus and by this new and living way that he opened to us through this curtain of his flesh, our confidence comes from the atoning blood and the torn flesh of Jesus on the cross. Because this curtain is torn The Spirit of God no longer sits on the mercy seat of the ark, but actually resides in your heart. So so here's why you can go into the holiest of holy places. It's because there now is no holy of holies. There is a place where the Spirit of God resides, and it's in you. If you are in Jesus, the Spirit is in you. The holy of holies is in you. The holy of holies is the church. It is the people of God. Do you, do you start to see how there might be a chance that whatever thing is making you not confident in this world could fade away, could be completely forgotten because you are in Jesus and you have complete confidence to do the most significant things in this life by the atoning blood and the torn flesh of Jesus What is more fear-crushing, anxiety-quelling, shame-smashing, confidence-building than this news? What other thing do you know that could give you more firm confidence? Not in this life, not for your career, but for all of eternity. What thing do you know that could give you more confidence? I I asked our people this morning, who wants confidence? I I mean, I asked for a raise of hands. Who wants more confidence? I do. Here's my confession. A lot of times, my confidence is not in the blood of Jesus. It's not in the rended flesh of Jesus. It's in my own abilities and my own powers that, get, uh, that are weak and get weaker all the time the more that they come into confrontation with the holiness of Jesus. I trust and have confidence in the exact wrong thing all the time. But that doesn't mean that I need to be lowly. That doesn't mean that I need to be crushed somewhere, just dirt on the floor. It doesn't mean that I need to consider myself nothing. Why? Because Jesus didn't. Jesus went to the cross for me so that I can have confidence in him. A little bit of confidence, eternal confidence. Confidence to enter uh, this room, yeah. Confidence to enter the holy of holies, yeah. Confidence to enter in eternal glory with him in heaven forever? Yes. That's the kind of confidence that Jesus is a purveyor of, that he gave his life for. And so we get something here. We get something that we can take away with us. And, and the writer of Hebrews gives us uh, the, the, the exact way to think about it. And he uses one word. He says, since. 
Okay, look at, the, look at this passage with me. There's two places where it uses the word since. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and since we have a high priest over the house of God. I'm going to say that one more time because that's the prefix for all of the things that we're studying for this morning. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, the first point is, let us draw near. You, this morning, listen to me. What God wants for you is to draw near. He says it right here. Since you have confidence, since you have a high priest named Jesus, let us draw near. I want for us to deal with this first little section let us draw near in an inverted way. First, he uses all of this temple language. He says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and with our bodies washed clean and pure. So with all of that, let us come close to the God we were once separated from with a true heart and in full, what, like passiveness, like uh, uh, timidness, no, 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 assurance, assurance of faith, with full assurance of faith. As the sanctifying work of the Spirit makes your true heart like His heart, and that results in something, we need to have confidence. We need to have assurance of faith. Confidence in Jesus results in an authenticity of who you truly are and assurance of faith in yourself, no, in him, in Jesus. This means that you can draw near to him. No hiding in shame, no sewing of fig leaves together to cover over your sinful nakedness. None of that stuff is required. In Jesus, you get to draw near. So here's the commandment, here's the first point, here's the thing that the writer of Hebrews says that you get to do, not eventually, not over the course of your life, today, you get to draw near to God. Many of us are not drawing near to God. I want to ask you a question this morning. I, I actually want this to be something that you take away with you. I want you to think about it. Why do you not draw near to God? If Jesus made every provision for you to do exactly what he's saying here in his word, just to draw near to him, if he made it available to you at the cost of his own life, why is it that we have a hard time just simply drawing near, embracing, seeing him? What keeps you from that? What I want to encourage you to do this morning is to do the two things that I think, honestly, are assured to help you draw near, and that is to be in the Word of God. You're like, ah, I knew that was coming. It's the preacher's answer. You want me to read my Bible? I do. I want you to read the true words of Scripture. God is speaking to you. He has spoken to you. You actually get to read the things that he says to you, to his church, to his beloved. This is a love letter to you. If you want to draw near to someone, you should listen to them. If you want to draw near to your spouse, listen to the things that they have to say. If you want to draw near to God, listen. And then pray. Like, man, we're two for two on the preaching stuff, right? Read the word and pray. This is like the most basic application of like a sermon ever. But here's what I want to encourage you with. You can have confidence in prayer. 
How many of us have confidence in prayer? How many of us go to God with the promises that he makes to us in scripture? God, you told me if I want wisdom, that I need to ask you for it and that you'll give it to me. I have confidence in Jesus that you're hearing my prayer. The spirit is interceding for me. I want wisdom. How many people pray like that? And even more than just like that, how many people actually expect for that wisdom to come? You want peace? God like tells you over and over again in his word, you can have peace. You can have abundant peace. You can have eternal peace, everlasting peace. You want peace? Read God's word. Hear him tell you that you can have peace and then go ask him for it. You might be like, Chris, I've done this. I've been doing this. I've done this for my whole life. I've been reading God's word and I've been praying these things back to him and I'm just, I'm missing something. This morning, for the sake of this text, I just want to ask you, how confident have you been? And, and, and where's your confidence been? Has it been in your ability to create the prayer list, to be disciplined about it? And then when you forget one day to pray through your prayer list, you feel like, God's just not going to answer those prayers. It depended on me to make sure that that happened. No, no, no. Have confidence in Jesus. Go to him prayerfully, confident, and ask him for things. I, I, I will tell you this. I'm a humble guy. There's nothing grand or, you know, special about me. I can tell you that God has honored a lot of prayers that Sawyer and I have made in confidence. There have been things that he hasn't. There have been things this year that we've been disappointed in praying for, that he didn't answer the way that we wanted to, but it hasn't shaken my confidence. In my soul, I have confidence that God loves me, that he atoned for me in Jesus, that he wants to speak to me in his word, and that he wants to hear from me in prayer. I'm calling you this morning, be confident, draw near to God. Once you have drawn near to him in holiness, in heart, and faith provided by Jesus, the second thing we need to do is hold fast. It says, let us draw near, and then it says, let us hold fast. Again, preacher's dream. This is like, I mean, the second point is the same words as the first one. Let us, let us hold fast. Get a grip. Don't waver, don't be wishy-washy, don't deconstruct, destroy, don't downplay things. What is it saying here? Hold fast. Verse 23, let us hold fast, what? To the confession of our hope without wavering. Are you prone to question? Are you prone towards wavering? The Holy Spirit, through the writer of Hebrews, wants you to have confidence and assurance and unwavering steadfastness. No matter what the state of political correctness is in our society, no matter what wind of doctrine is kind of blowing through what the so-called church here in America is, no matter what season of personal dissatisfaction you have, here are the words of God, draw near. Hold fast to your confession. Now, now, there are some students here in this room that when I ask, hey, what is your confession of faith? They actually know what their confession of faith is. They've been learning it, I mean, you know, on a daily basis. The Apostles' Creed, they know what the confession of faith is. I'm wondering, hey, follow the lead of our kids. Do you know your confession of faith? 
Have you ever taken the time to memorize a, a, a creed or confession of some kind and like hold fast to it? Like, I mean, a holding fast to a confession. And for some of us, it's just like, man, my brain is here, it's there. Like, you know, uh, one day, like I feel like an in intimacy, I feel like I'm holding fast. And other days, I really don't. I'm uh, just asking you a question. Have you ever memorized anything just to hold fast to? Have you ever taken a moment of clarity and memorized a passage of Scripture and said, I'm going to own this, I'm going to believe it, no matter what happens, no matter what winds blow, no matter what runs over me, I'm just going to hold it, I'm going to keep it, this is my confession. There are a lot of good things to hold a confession of hope without wavering. So that when those uh, questions do come, you have something to draw out of your tool belt and use with it. Draw near to God. Hold fast to your confession. This week, I, I was actually sitting in my truck with one of the members of this church, and we were talking about questioning our faith. We were talking about just the reality of faith. And here's the truth. I think that a lot of us, not, not, not a lot of y'all, me too, think that the uh, something about our faith has to be experiential. That, that just at some point, I've got to have like the spirit of God and like the shining glory of God descend like a dove and I've got to see it in order for me to see some type of thing that I can like hold on to. And, and here was my encouragement. My encouragement is you actually could just make a decision to believe. A lot of times in Scripture, especially in Acts, you don't get these like uh, long kind of like drawn out. It's just, I believe, they're like, great, here's some water. Let's baptize you. You're a Christian. Like, and there's not like a whole lot of questioning on the back end of that. Now, now here's the truth. I've done plenty of questioning in my life. For a long season, for about a decade of my life, from like uh, early college until really just a few years ago, like maybe five years ago or so, every two years or so, I would have just something come up that just had me wrestling, had me, you know, questioning my faith. I'm not, I'm not demonizing that at all. If that's where God's got you at the present moment, I'm glad that you're here because I just want to make a simple appeal this morning. Decide what you believe. Don't wait for an experience. Don't wait for something ecstatic. Don't wait for something. Don't wait. Decide what you believe. Hold fast to something. I just want to encourage you that that's actually a possibility. A lot of us are just like, it's not real unless I feel it. It's like, no, you can, you can choose to believe these things that God says to you in his word and hold fast to them. Why hold fast? Why endure sacrifice and persecution? Verse 23 tells us, because he who promised is faithful. If, if you heard what I just said and you go, you don't understand the season that I'm in. You don't understand the depression that I feel. You don't, you don't understand the apathy. You don't understand the years-long battle, just the crying out to God and the feeling like he doesn't answer me. Hear his answer in this, because he who promised is faithful. The things that he said in his word, he's faithful to do. Hold fast to it. If we go all the way back to chapter 4, verse 14, it says, since we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who passed through the heavens, the Son of God, let us hold fast. This is actually like a theme in the book of Hebrews. Hold fast to it. 
Make up your mind. Cultivate your affections. Don't be lukewarm. God will spit you out of his mouth. Be certain. Don't doubt. Discern doctrine. Does that sound too high of a calling this morning? You came to church. That's what we're here to do. So I just want to call you to it. Now that we have drawn near and held fast our confession because he is faithful, the last point this morning is let us carefully consider. We are to be intentional. We are to be thoughtful. No, no longer, this passage kind of shifts from a conversation about you and Jesus to you and God's people. So just make that marked shift. This is no longer about self, but it's outward towards others. And I just want to read through these things. And, and I want for just a moment for you, ask, you to ask the Spirit to illuminate some place for you to actually be changed this morning. Because the next list of things that we get is really good. And if, if as a church we were to embrace the Holy Spirit telling us to do a few things that are outward oriented, I think this church would explode. Not, not with numbers of people, would just explode in faithfulness and kindness and uh, gentleness and love and self-control as we head into the, uh, the last couple of chapters of Galatians. We're going to be talking a lot about these things. So I see God's providence in this list of stuff. The first thing that we are to carefully consider is this, how to stir one another up to love. You, you might say, hey, there's another little part there. No, no, we'll take it at a time. How do you stir one another up to love? City church, if you're here this morning, if you're hearing me online, consider it, carefully consider it. How are you stirring one another up to love? The greatest of these is love. What are you doing to increase love amongst God's people? The second thing that I want for us to carefully consider this morning is how to stir one another up to good works. How do we stir one another up to love and good works? How do, we, how do we stir one another up to actually activate in our faith? Discipleship groups, do y'all come together and somebody says, man, you know, I've really been struggling with this thing, and like the only response is, man, it sucks, you know, I struggle with the same thing. It's like, you're not doing it. Stir one another up to good works. See gifts in other people here at City Church and say, you're an encourager. You, you need to be encouraging more people. It's a gift of yours to encourage. Man, when you said that, I, I feel like you were teaching me something. You should be a teacher. You, you should do a good work of teaching. How do we stir one another up to love and good works? James says, do not be a hearer only of the word. Be doers. For faith without works is dead. How do we stir one another up here at City Church in good works? Here's what I can tell you. We're not going to do it if we don't think about it. When was the last time you literally thought about, how am I going to stir this brother or sister up to a good work? So, sometimes, like, we just have so much brokenness in our lives that a lot of times our DGs especially kind of just become, uh, like, support groups. But the part of support that we forgot is to tell people to get outside of themselves and go serve something bigger than themselves. The next time that you have somebody who just, like, monopolizes the time with the same list of things that have been going wrong in their life for the last two years, don't chastise them for it. That's not wrong. They need help. But one of the ways that you can help them is go... You know, I hear all of that. 
you know, there's something in there. There's a little piece of wisdom in there. I wonder who you could share that with. You're stirring them up to good works. How do we meet together? Let us carefully consider how we meet together. It says, do not neglect to gather. We're, we're, we're promised that where two or more gather, that there is a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. Where two or more gather, I am there with you also. That's the promise that we get. This morning, did you come here? Were you driving on your way here thinking, I'm ready to meet with God's people, and he makes a promise that he's going to be there. The Savior of the world is going to be there. He tells me that he will never leave or forsake me. Did you realize, like, I really honestly believe that God is attending the worship of his saints, not globally here. That's what we're doing this morning. That's how special what we're doing this morning is. It's how amazing what we're doing is. There is a manifestation. And some in the spiritual realm, if you could put on spiritual specs and see the spiritual world that is around us, that in some ways is not less real, is more real than the physical body, the chairs that you are sitting in, the air that you are breathing, the spiritual world in some way is as real, if not more real, than the one that you're in And there's something about it where God is attending the glory that he is being given by his people worshiping this morning. I hope you're encouraged by that. I I hope that you're encouraged to come back, to have that mind about you when you come back to our gatherings. Do not neglect to gather as some are given to do. The writer of Hebrews, they must have had the same problem that we do. Don't neglect it. The last little piece here is how do we encourage one another? Right there at the very end, it talks about encouraging. We talked a few weeks ago about just the dichotomy of that word. You're supposed to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, encourage one another and build one another up. Are you building into other people? Are you? Are you building a career or are you building into a people? Are you building like a collection of things or are you building into your marriage? Are you building a resume or are you building into your children? Encourage one another. It's one of the easiest ways to just build other people up. And he says this at the very end. He says, now all the more as you see the day drawing near. You'll you'll notice that that day is capitalized He's encouraging us to do things like stirring one another up to love and good works and encouraging one another and to gather in the name of Jesus. Why? Because all the more it is needed. There is a day coming. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11, it says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, capital D, same word, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, it will, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the flyer. Here, here's my question to you this morning. What are you working on? 
What are you building up? The day of judgment is drawing near. He will test everything by fire. And if what you are doing survives, it'll be a reward to you. If what you're doing is burned up, it will be a loss. Talk about fearful statements. I mean, Sawyer and I think not, not necessarily about this passage, but we think about that a lot. What are we going to use our entire lives to work for? Are we going to be working for God's glory and God's people and for salvations and for uh, connectedness and love to arise in uh, God's people? Are we going to build something eternal with our lives or are we going to watch another Seinfeld episode like we did last night? What are we going to do with our lives? What are you doing with your life? Last week, we said this, Christians live in a city of light. And we broke it into three parts. We talked about your city, because you have a little city. Did you know it? Maybe you missed last week, and you need to go back and just revisit it. You have a little city. What are you doing there? We have a city. We have this church. We literally call it the city church. We have this little city. What are we doing with it? We live in the midst of several cities that are right here, predominantly here in Fort Worth. What are we doing to build into those cities, into our city? Hebrews chapter 10 is all about who and how we worship. How does this city church draw near? How does it hold fast? How does it carefully consider what we are doing? Jesus gives us confidence to enter holy places, then tells us not to neglect gathering together. So, so Jesus, who gives us confidence to enter holy places, then tells us in the same breath of his word not to neglect gathering together. When the people of God, indwelled by the Spirit of God, draw near to the living God, there's something holy, there's something sacred, there's something different about it. And you might just think, it doesn't feel like it. It's like, no. You need to see our worship gatherings the way that God sees our worship gatherings. Men, I wonder if you're leading your family towards worship. Not, not, not just to a, a church. Like, are you leading them towards worship of the Savior of all things, Jesus? Are you bringing your family are you sitting them here in these pews? Are you sending them to Kid City? Are they going to city students? Are they going to a school where the glory of God is in front of them all the time? I just want to encourage you. See what we're doing here is important. Show up on time. Show up early. Pray for this gathering. Pray that people would come into this gathering and hear the gospel. There are a lot of things that we lack as a church. Hey, listen, there's nobody who has a longer list of the things that we lack than I do. And our lead team will tell you so. You know one thing that we don't lack? Every week that we gather, we're talking about Jesus. We are talking about his death on the cross. We're talking about his glorious resurrection. We are talking about his future coming. If you want your friend, if you want your family member, if you want your kid to hear about Jesus, I know of at least one place that you can come once per week to attend the glory of God and to let others hear the same. I wonder if you would change an attitude or thought about what we do here and see it as significant. Come, come regularly. Let's do this together. Our gatherings are holy places. The priests would prepare for all of the sacrifices, but instead of me preparing a sprinkling of blood, Jesus has prepared you for worship. 
Not me. He's prepared you for that. So I, I just want to call you into a holy place of worship. I want to call you to come with confidence. I want to, to come and participate, to sing and to hear and to work and to do things together. I want for us to see this just uh, an opportunity to offer excellent worship to an excellent, excellent Savior with confidence. He's made our worship acceptable. Come and do that. The, the very last thing is, is that Jesus gives us confidence to enter the holy places. And if he gives us confidence to enter the holy places, then he tells us and he has the authority to tell us to stir one another up to love and to good works, to encourage one another and to not neglect gathering. So I just want to send you with this. Give great thought, careful consideration on how you love and serve, how you encourage and build up. Because I do think that for those of us who lack intimacy with God, I think what you'll find and what you can confidently expect is intimacy with God in the midst of the things that he's commanded us to do. And it's all because of Jesus. Let us pray that God will bless this in our hearts. God and Father, we've gone long this morning because your word has just a lot to tell us. Father, I pray that you would not let our hearts tune out. That we would not become dull, that we would not become desensitized. But that we would hear your calls here to trust and have confidence in every provision that is in Jesus Christ. And that then we would do Lord, that you would help us to do, that you would help us to want to do, that you, would, uh, that you first would stir us up to love and good works so that we could stir others up to love and good works, that you would stir us up to uh, gather so that we as a, a body would not neglect the gathering of the saints and that you would help us to be encouraged in the gospel so that we could go out and confidently encourage others. Father, we ask you this morning that you would let us draw near to you that you would let us hold fast to a confession of faith and that you would let us be carefully considerate of all of the things that you call us to do. But we can't do any of them without Christ. And so we confidently pray all these things in our Savior's name, who is Christ Jesus. Amen.